Uh, we are going to jump back into our series on the book of James. Uh, we're doing a series just going through all the verses in the book of James, but we're sort of categorizing them and dealing with different topics as we go through the book of James. And this is week four. Last week, we talked about the deeds of faith and how James is not a real big fan of hypocrites. And one of the types of hypocrites that James doesn't like is the big talkers who aren't doers. And so we dealt with that and uh, what it means to to be that type of hypocrite, to talk big but not do anything. And we looked at the important issue with not doing things because have you ever thought you should be doing more of something and you just weren't doing it? Like, I should pray more, but. I should read my Bible more, but. I should do this, but. You know, is that a action problem or is it some other type of problem? If you're not praying enough, should you just pray more? Well, there's a deeper wrinkle to it. As we looked in James, we read James 2, verse 17 and verse 26, two different verses. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So there's a lack of action. There's a lack of prayer. There's a lack of church attendance. There's a lack of serving. There's a lack of action. What's the thing that's dead? The faith is dead. It's not an action problem. It's not a deeds problem. It's a faith problem. And verse 26, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So there's no deeds. There's no doing. There's just talking. But what's the problem? Do you just do more? What do you need to work on? The thing that's dead is faith. So for example, if you know you should pray, but you don't, the problem isn't that you should put prayer on your to-do list. The problem is you need to start believing in the power of prayer. You need to start believing that if you pray, that things are going to change, that prayer moves the hand of God. Once you start having faith in the power of prayer, I couldn't stop you from praying if I tried. If you believe that in the Holy Scriptures that this is the living and active Word of God and this can change your life, that the truths in here can make the difference between you crashing and burning and you being able to have everlasting life, if you knew those secrets were in here and you believed that, I couldn't keep you out of this book. There's people who grab hold of the scriptures even though they're risking their lives by reading the scriptures because they believe that there's something in here. So a lack of actions is not an action problem. It's a faith problem. So we talked about that last week. This week, we are going to jump into no pollution. Ooh, not being polluted. Let's pray. Yeah, James is going to. James is going to be tougher than Mayweather or that other guy tonight. James is going to throw more uppercuts, more jabs. This is going to be some strong stuff. So let's pray. Uh, Connor McGregor, that's that other guy. Anyway, let's pray. We'll believe God for something good as we get into new material. So Heavenly Father, I thank you for your holy scriptures. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Father, that you have put in our hands your truth. Lord, let us see it for what it is. Let us grab hold of what you've got for us. Lord, each one of us is dealing with different things. We're fighting different parts of the battle, and we need a different, part, different touch from you. And so, Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would touch each one of us with exactly what we need so that we could grab hold of what it takes to believe in you better, what it takes to serve you better, what it takes to have faith in you more. Lord, what we need I pray you would give us tonight, in Jesus' name, 
Amen. Amen. Not polluted. So we're going to reread um, James 1, 22 through 27. And this is a section we read uh, last week about making sure that we're not deceived, that we're doing what we hear. And then James talks about pure and faultless religion. And there was two parts to it. Last week, we covered the first part. This week, we're going to cover the second part. So let's read quickly James 1, 22 through 27. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do you want to be deceived? No. If we listen to the word but don't do what it says, what happens to us? We get deceived. I don't want to be deceived. I don't want you to be deceived. What percentage of Christians, if this is true, are actually deceived? They know what they should do. They know what the scriptures say. They don't do it. That brings deception. We don't want to be deceived. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Last time, social justice, putting action to your faith, being called into service to God, doing what we are called to do. So putting actions to your faith. You see a need, you meet the need. Now this week, we're going to look at the other side, which is keeping oneself from being polluted by the world. So last time, it's external actions, taking care of people. This time, it's keeping your heart right, keeping yourself pure, not being polluted by the world. Now, have you ever known someone who was good on the outside and polluted on the inside? That's the type of hypocrite we're going to worry about being today. Looking good on the outside Polluted on the inside. Jesus called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. Looking nice on the outside, but on the inside full of dead men's bones. We don't want to look good on the outside and be rotten on the inside. Jesus said, clean the inside of the cup and dish. The outside will be clean as well. We take care of the inside. The outside will follow. We don't need to worry about cleaning up the outside, the appearance, what people think. We need to deal with our heart, what's on the inside. So we need to stop ourselves from being polluted by the world. The way this is phrased, keep oneself from being polluted by the world, it has a defensive posture, doesn't it? Because in this world, you don't have to go to the evil of the world. The evil of the world comes to you, right? It The onslaught happens to you. You don't have to go seek it out. Now, maybe there's people who do, and they run into all, you can find stuff if you go seek it out. But just standing there, just living your life, the darkness of this world will come on you. It will hit you. You have to defend yourself against it. So religion that our, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless includes keeping yourself from being polluted by the world. There is evil, there is darkness, there is just harsh, yucky stuff out in the world, and we have to keep ourselves from being tainted, from being calloused, from being darkened, from being polluted. Do you want to be free from being polluted? 
Come on. Amen. I tell you what, even if you're a super fun site, there's hope for you. Amen. There is hope for you because the blood of Christ is enough. Let's look at tonight four ways we are potentially polluted. And I tell you, these are just part of the human condition. And so uh, if this is hitting you pretty hard, just look forward and say, amen. Call her good. All right. Polluted by classic sinfulness. You know, that's the first thing that comes up, this idea of, you know, just doing dumb, sinful stuff. And so let's look at James 1, 13 through 15. James 1, 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for he cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So if you are being tempted to sin, is God involved in tempting you? No. He doesn't want you to sin. He wants you to not sin. He's trying to stop you from sinning by giving you commands and guiding you by his spirit. So God doesn't do that to us. I've heard people say things like, well, if God wants to take that thing away from me, he will. He's sovereign. He can do it. No, man, it's not God. You have to take responsibility for your own heart. And so don't say it's God. Verse 14. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire... He is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Here we see a progression. How many people have been polluted by the sins of the world, have been enticed by their interest in some darkness? You know, mom warned you about it, but you went into it anyway. And it wasn't that everything fell apart on the first day, was it? You put a toe in it, that wasn't so bad. You put an ankle in. Look at, this is a long process. After desire has conceived, that means you're starting to think about it. You're starting to get ideas. You're starting to be pulled and drawn in your heart. Then it gives birth to sin. That's when you're acting on it. You know, acting on your thoughts. You know, Jesus talks about how Thinking the thought is a sin in and of itself, but this progression is going from the thought to putting it into practice. You start putting it into practice. You realize, well, that wasn't as bad as I thought. However, then you keep going down that road and sin when it is full grown gives birth to death. It doesn't take 15 minutes. This is a longer process. This is being polluted by the world, being drawn into the sins of the world, drawn into the darkness of this world, drawn into it by our own desires, which leads to sin. And as that grows and grows, it results in death. Does that sound real good? No, that's the problem. I told you this would be tougher than McGregor and uh, Mayweather. So... (laughs) This could apply to any sinful thing, you know, from lying to cheating, adultery, stealing, you know, whatever. Applies to all those sorts of things. And this progression is the wide path that Jesus was talking about in Matthew 7. Matthew 7, 13 and 14 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate. He says, you you don't do those things. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. That road of desire which leads to sin, which leads to death. Wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. We want to stay off that broad path. 
Now, James said that if we don't put into practice what we hear, we will be deceived. What's the biggest deception with regards to this progression of desire, which leads to sin, which leads then to death when it's full grown as time goes on? What's the biggest deception in that? The deception that the enemy will bring is that you can do it without it leading to death. You can do it without the consequences hitting you. You'll be able to dodge the consequences. You ever thought that? Oh, well, I can handle that. Maybe those people can't, but I can. I know myself. I'm strong. I can can handle it. The big deception of the enemy is that desire leads to sin. Oh, it's not going to get you. Sin grows and grows. Oh, it's not going to get you. And then guess what? You're got. You're sunk. That's the big lie. And the second lie is that you can step off the train before it crashes. Oh, I'll just ride the train for a while. I mean, come on, everybody needs it. Everybody gets forgiven from something. I'll just ride the train for a while and then I'll get off. Man, all of a sudden you you get distracted. You're just on the train. You can't get off. Don't believe those lies. We don't want to be polluted by the world. We want to be free. So, don't be fooled. Ha. Amen. You, you, you hearing me? So how do we keep ourselves from being polluted by the world? I tell you, the easiest place to do it is when it's at the desire stage. You know, what I mean, if you've walked down that road and you've gotten all the way full blown into you're almost to death, it's hard to get free. I mean, come on, we've all been pretty far down this road. But the easiest place to get off is in the desire stage where you think, no, I'm not going to do that. And you don't even start. I'm not going to believe that. I'm not going to think that I can, you know, thwart the ways of God and somehow be the only human being on the planet to get away with it. You know, it's not going to happen. So just say, nope, at the desire stage, that's when we need to deal with that and get off the train before it starts rolling. Amen. So first way we... We want to stop being polluted by the world. And by the way, when James uses the phrase, the world, he's not talking about Jay Cook State Park. You know, he's talking about the evil sinfulness of the world. You know, it's, that's very important. If you're unfamiliar with the terminology, he's talking about the evil of the world, the darkness of the world. So first way we, we keep ourselves from being polluted by the world and thus, uh, are doing the type of religion that God accepts as pure and faultless is we don't be polluted by classic sinfulness. It'll get you, it'll bite you, and deal with it at the desire level first. Ask God to put his desires in your heart. Believe God for godly desires. Then you can be busy doing right, keeps you off the wrong track. Second way in the book of James that we see people being polluted by the world is bitter envy and selfish ambition. Bitter envy and selfish ambition. James chapter 3, 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. So does wisdom make you proud? Wisdom, if it's true wisdom, makes you humble because you recognize who you are. You recognize what you don't know. A little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing. But once you start to look around, you realize all the things you don't know. 
The older I get, seems like the less I know because the more I realize I don't know. There's all this stuff I don't have any clue about. You know, I thought I had a pretty good handle on my world, but then I found out my world was really, really, really small. There's a whole lot more going on out there. And so wisdom causes humility because we see ourselves in the right perspective. We understand who we are. So if you're wise and understanding, show it by your good life. Verse 14. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. So what does James feel about (laughs) this selfish ambition thing? It's earthly, it's worldly, unspiritual of the devil. That's pretty strong. 16, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. So we want to be free from bitter envy and selfish ambition. And this is the, the end of the progression, just starting with your garden variety pride. Everybody's born with garden variety pride. I mean, maybe not you guys. I know I was. You're born with just pride. You're born with caring about yourself. You're born with wanting to show yourself to be good enough and to measure up. And you're just born with garden variety pride. But then it can turn to this bitter envy, selfish ambition. Have you ever been really prideful, really envious, where it's bitter, where you can feel there's a darkness in there as you're looking at yourself versus other people, as you're wanting what somebody else has, as you wish you could do things that other people couldn't do. I'm sorry. You wish you could do things other people can do, but you can't. Have you felt that get dark? That's a part of being polluted by the world, this bitter envy and selfish ambition. When this garden variety pride is not dealt with, it grows the, the desire turns to sin and the sin leads to death. As it grows and gets bigger, it turns into this bitter envy and selfish ambition. Now, this is more subtle than, say, pornography addiction. But look at James 3.16 again. James 3.16, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. If we have envy and selfish ambition in our lives, in our families, in our workplaces, then we're going to have problems because there's disorder in every evil practice. That doesn't sound good. This, this envy and selfish ambition thing needs to be dealt with. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Aren't we supposed to be great? Aren't we supposed to have God-sized dreams? Aren't we supposed to go to foreign lands and change the world? Aren't we supposed to step up and get something done? Aren't we supposed to be great? Congregation's always confused as what to do with that. Let me tell you, you remember the disciples. Jesus was always dealing with his disciples because they were arguing about who's the greatest. They're trying to get higher up in the cabinet. You know, they're trying to be great. Jesus never rebuked his disciples for wanting to be great but he redefined greatness. He didn't rebuke them for wanting to be great. He redefined greatness. Let's go to Luke 22, 24 through 26. 
Jesus wants you to be great. He wants you to do great things. He wants you to have God-sized dreams. But he wants you to see yourself accurately and be a servant. Luke 22, 24. Also a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. (laughs) What a great group they'd have been to deal with. I mean, this happens over and over and over. They're always fighting about who's better. And Jesus has to call staff meetings all the time. 25. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them. And those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. You know, like you got to do what I say and I'm the one that's helping you. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. He's not saying don't be great. He says, you want to be the greatest? Be the greatest. But the greatest one serves. The greatest one submits. The greatest ones show the greatest kindness. Go ahead and be great. Be great in God's ways. So we want to avoid this bitter envy Selfish ambition. How can you tell if you've gone from godly ambition to selfish ambition? Because I think godly ambition is just fine. I think we should believe God to reach our whole community. I think we should believe God to see incredible things happen. Amen. And be ambitious for the kingdom of God. When has it turned to something dark? How can you tell? Let's go back to James 3.17. Test yourself against James 3.17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. Then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. If you're thinking things like, who do they think they are? I'm just as good as that. How come nobody cares about me? Does that fit into this category, into this description? No. Now we're into selfish ambition. Now we're into envy. Look at your heart as you are desiring to do the things of God and see if it lines up with James 3.17, then you can tell the difference between godly ambition and selfish ambition. Another way, another litmus test is, I may ask you this question at some point, if you want to serve, I'll ask you why. Why do you want to serve in this particular area? I probably shouldn't tell you this. This is a secret. Don't tell anybody else. Okay, just between you and you and me. It's a secret. If I ask you, why do you want to serve in this area? And you talk about yourself. And what you want. I'm going to go, okay, all right. Well, that's interesting. But if you talk about the need that's there, you talk about the people that could be helped. And you talk about what God wants to do. Then I'm going to. I'm going to get up out of my chair and I'm going to give you a hug and I'm going to say, let's go right now. Because if you care about them, that's when you're caring about the things of God. When you care about what you want to do, that's when you're caring about what you want to do. It's a good way to tell the difference between godly ambition and selfish ambition. So we want to be free from the pollution of classic sinfulness free from bitter envy and selfish ambition, being polluted by our garden variety pride and letting it grow, not dealing with it. Third thing is strife in church. Oh my goodness. Have you ever, have you ever known? I bet you probably heard that in some churches, there's some conflicts, personality conflicts and strife. Have you heard about that? It's a, it's an amazing thing. Um, let's look at James four, one through 10. 
So this is basically bitter envy and selfish ambition, but not just in your personal life, in church life. James 4, 1 through 10. What causes fights and quarrels among you? He's writing this to believers. They're fighting and quarreling. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Don't you have some dark in your heart that you need to deal with? That's where the fights and quarrels come from. Verse 2. You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot. Who are they killing? You kill and Who are they killing? I tell you what. I've dealt with some church squabbles and stuff. Nobody's ever killed anybody. Like, isn't this amazing? Is this really actually true? They're killing each other? Yeah, I've seen that. I've seen death come through church conflict. I've definitely seen death. Maybe not somebody stabbing somebody, but there's death. You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet. You cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you don't ask God. You're trying to do it on your own. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. That means you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You got the wrong heart. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Again, friendship with the world, friendship not with, he's not talking about Jay Cook. He's talking about this sinful, envious, jealous yuck of this world. Friendship with that is hatred toward God because they're polar opposites. Light and dark are different. We can't claim to be children of the light while we're loving the darkness. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? God wants us on his side, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. When we were praying before the service started, we we're talking about this verse just a little bit. You know, where is the devil when you resist him and he flees from you? He's with you. If he's going to flee from you, he has to be with you. Is that always fun? No. Resist the devil, he will flee. He might be right there. You resist him. Verse 8. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Now, we read this section when we talked about the miracles of God, and then I told you we would talk about this part a little bit more. That's what we're doing today. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You're loving God and you're loving darkness. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Isn't that a nice verse? I was telling my wife some years back, wouldn't it be fun to put these weird verses on coffee cups? You know? And it, it, uh, uh. grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. James 4 9. Wouldn't that be a terrible life verse to have? Like, oh, you're happy? Well, guess what? You need to be crying, man. But uh, verse 10. What's verse 10? I better hurry up. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. So, when bitter envy and selfish ambition infiltrate the body, the body of Christ, infiltrate the church, that's very, very bad. It's a destructive cancer, a malignant type of pollution. It hurts other people, spiritual death, darkness comes in, it's a disaster. Now, God doesn't like it when his bride is marred. God doesn't like it when 
the body of Christ on this earth is damaged. In 1 Corinthians, Paul was dealing with a church that had division. And he wrote this, we can't cover the whole thing. But God doesn't like the church being divided. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17 says this. 1 Corinthians 3. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? Now, have you heard the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Yep, that's a different verse. This is, you know, that's the body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. This is, there was the Old Testament temple, the dwelling place of God. Now there's a New Testament temple, the dwelling place of God. In the Old Testament, it was a place. It was a beautiful, ornate building. Incredible. Now, it's a group of people that is the dwelling place of God. You yourselves are the temple. It is now not a location. It is not a building. It is a group of people. You yourselves, this is the plural. The group of believers is the temple. And God's spirit lives in you. If people want to come and find God, where do they go? To the people of God. You yourselves are God's temple and God's spirit lives in you. How sacred is this temple? Should we defile this temple? Next verse. If anyone destroys God's temple through division, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. That's pretty strong. That puts James 4.9 back into... uh, into perspective here. If we are bringing destruction and division into the church, into the plan of God, into the people of God, the temple of God, the sacred temple of God, then grieve, mourn, and wail, and change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Quit making fun of different churches and different ministers and the way they're doing things. Get over that because you don't want to be bringing division. Nobody's perfect. They all make mistakes. It's okay. (laughs) Don't bring division. If you're laughing at this church does this wrong, that church does that wrong, quit laughing and take seriously the bride of Christ and love the bride. So how do we get free from church strife? James 4.10, next verse. We read this already. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. If you've got godly ambition, who's going to lift you up? You don't have to do it. You just humble yourself before the Lord. You do diligently the things God's called you to do, and he'll lift you up. He'll put you in a new position. He will advance you over time. You be diligent. You serve. God will take care of the lifting up. You do your job, which is to humble yourself before the Lord, and you let him in his timing lift you up. We've got one more. I'm going to invite the prayer teams up here. We're going to close in just a minute. I bet you've seen a lot of that messed up stuff. Right? You've seen people pulled off into sin. You've brought, you know, everybody to one extent or another has walked down that road. You've seen strife, bitter, bitter envy, selfish ambition, people elbowing you out of the, out of the way so that they can take something that is rightly yours. You've been there and seen that darkness. If you've been in the church world very long, you've seen that in the church world and it's an evil, dark thing. And so what's the fourth way? that we can be polluted by this world. 
Let's read James 2, 12 and 13. When we look at this dark world, we can start getting, that's messed up, that's goofed up. These people are so, this world is evil and dark and and we can start looking at things in the wrong light. James 2, 12 and 13. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. The next danger we can fall into is becoming judgmental, looking at the evil, the darkness, the sinfulness, the hurt, the pain in the world, and becoming judges with dark hearts instead of people of mercy. In the midst of all this pollution in the world of evil and darkness, we are still called to be merciful. We are still called to walk into the mess, walk into the pain, and offer mercy. Offer kindness. Offer love in this dark world. For too many people, Matthew 24, 12 is true. Jesus said, because of the increase of wickedness, talking about the last times, because of the increase of of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Have you been polluted by the evil of this world and your joy has been robbed? Your faith has been taken. Your innocent heart that loved and was quick to show mercy and kindness became calloused, and your love grew cold. This is a miserable way to be polluted by the world. To see everything is dark, to see everything is tainted, to see everything is icky. You start to see things as evil that aren't even evil. You start complaining about things that are might even be good things because you think everything is dark. Now, if, if that's where you're at and you see this world as evil and dark and there's nothing good out there and you just judge it, blame, condemn, then understand who you are. Romans 2, 1 through 4, our last scripture for the day, Romans 2, 1 through 4. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you repentance here Paul is saying in Romans be smart enough to not be the person to throw the first stone be smart enough to look at yourself and think if stones are going to fly I'm not in a good spot let's just drop the stones and let's show mercy to one another because I need mercy you need mercy our hearts need to be soft and merciful, then we can walk in the purity of God.
not judgmental, not hating the darkness, but seeing the tragedy that's there, offering mercy and love. I am so glad that mercy triumphs over judgment. Put James 2.13 back up there, sorry. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Aren't you glad that mercy triumphs over judgment? Amen. We've been in the book of James. We've been, I mean, this is uppercuts and haymakers. And I mean, this is heavy stuff. But James also said mercy triumphs over judgment. Amen. So you find yourself in any of the categories we've been talking about and you got a heavy heart. Let me tell you something. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Jesus didn't go to the cross to see us condemned. Jesus didn't go to the cross so that we'd feel bad about what we've done and think there's no hope for ourselves. Jesus went to the cross so mercy could triumph over judgment. Amen? And you and I need to rejoice in the fact that mercy triumphs over judgment. Whatever darkness you've seen, whatever darkness you've been a part of, whatever things have crushed you, mercy triumphs over judgment. Keep yourself from being polluted by the darkness of this world by rejoicing in the fact that the mercy of God triumphs over judgment and then share that mercy with people who don't deserve it. And we will stand clean before God. Let's pray. I want you to search your heart, see what needs to be taken care of, we got prayer teams up here. This is a night to pray. This is a night to go into the presence of God, ask for forgiveness, ask for a heart cleansing, to get free from the evil that has hit us, but to get our joy back. This is a night for victory. So let's pray. And then I'll open up the front for individual personal prayer. Heavenly Father, We thank you that in this dark world, in the evil that we see, in the harshness that we've experienced, in the cruelty and wrong that is just everywhere, that mercy triumphs over judgment. Lord, thank you that in our lives, when we fail, when we fall, when we slip down the road of desire to sin, to death, when we start letting our pride get the best of us, that we can wake up and change and mercy triumphs over judgment. Lord, show us the areas where your mercy needs to triumph right now. The areas in our lives where your mercy needs to triumph. And Father, give us that special measure of faith to know that mercy triumphs over judgment. That we can receive of your mercy and be fully and completely forgiven. Not a little forgiven, not mostly forgiven. Totally and completely washed clean. Thank you, Lord, for that. And Lord, help us when we receive your mercy to share your mercy with other people that don't deserve it just like us. To be people of mercy with pure hearts who aren't tainted by this world, but who can walk in your joy and walk in your peace. Lord, let it be. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.